As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. You're listening to a special edition of the Race MotoGP podcast being recorded after today's big news about sprint races in MotoGP in 2023. I'm your host, Valentin Harunji. Uh, regular host Toby Moody is indisposed, as is stand-in host Matt Beer, which I guess makes me the stand-in for the stand-in. So, to use to use Matt's example of him normally being the Stefan Bradle, does this make you like the... The 2023 Takanakagami. Uh, you know you what? Believe uh, that he's going to be a Honda's test rider next year alongside Bradle. Uh, full disclosure: this whole bit was scripted, and I had myself as Jordi Torres to Matt's Christophe Ponson to Tito's uh, to Toby's Tito Rabat. <laughs> as you will have heard by now, MotoGP has officially announced a new F1 slash World Superbike-esque sprint weekend format to be used at every single Grand Prix of the 2023 season. So it is a big, big shakeup to the traditional MotoGP race weekend that we're all so very used to. And I will go into some deeper format details in a little bit, but the gist of it is uh, these will be standalone half-distance races on Saturday afternoon, awarding points to the top nine finishers, with the winner getting 12 points, then nine, then seven, six, five, etc. And crucially, and most differently, in that to F1, uh, the results of the sprint will not be forming the Sunday Grand Prix grid. Instead, Saturday morning qualifying, Saturday morning, unlike in F1 where it's Friday evening, but yeah, Saturday morning qualifying will be responsible for both the, the sprint grid and the main grid. Now, Simon, this all happened very, very suddenly this weekend. I, th- I think we all knew, because I think it was being mooted in the fan survey. So I think we all knew yeah. that it was potentially maybe on the horizon someday, but what was your? I think we we all kind of assumed it was an idea that was being explored. Yeah. We didn't. No one in the paddock expected it yeah. to be an idea that was just suddenly launched as a concrete solution. Let alone the riders. Yeah. So, what what was your first reaction on on Friday when you learned that it was it wasn't just in discussions? There was basically already being rubber stamped. So, quite unusually for someone like myself that always has strong opinions, um, I don't really know where I sit on this yet. I still can't really decide whether I'm in favor or of it or against it. My initial response was to be absolutely certain was yeah, this is great, this is positive because 
I think anyone that's been reading our content and, and listening to our podcast will know that we're very much in favor of some changes coming to MotoGP to try and shake things up a, a little bit, to try and boost those audience and attendance figures that have been plummeting, frankly, since the, the pandemic hit. Um, we really hoped that they would do something in particular to try and deliver a bit more value for money for fans. Um, so the, my initial response to it was, yeah, great. This is exactly what we asked for. Bring it on. Since then, and since the proposals have be- become more and more concrete, I have to admit I'm starting to sway in the other direction um, for a whole factor of reasons, to be honest. Um, I-, I think there's a risk that it devalues Sunday's main event, uh, especially if, as we expect, these the sprint races actually deliver really good racing because... Yeah. There's every possibility that whenever MotoGP riders suddenly find themselves not having to manage tires, not having to manage fuel, that, that it turns out to be something really spectacular. Um, so that's that's one thing that is a plus. But at the same time, what if Saturday's races are better? What does yeah. that do for, for the audience on Sunday? Um, the, there's also the fact that, and this is something that's been raised quite a bit by the riders, we have a 22-race calendar and we now have 44 races. Um, we, we've essentially, the, the essentially, if you look back a few seasons, in the course of the last 20 years, it's a 200% increase in the number of races. Yeah. And a lot has been made today by various people responsible for this whole thing, that, oh, it's, it's no more time on track. I don't buy that argument, because I think a race is twice as stressful as a free practice session. Sitting in the grid is different from rolling out of pit lane for a practice uh the risk is higher th- because the reward is higher yeah. the chance of crashing is higher the chance of injury is higher the crash the, the chance of of crash damage is higher and quite remarkably because i don't really think anyone has kind of cottoned on to this yet there is a potential that this could cost a lot of teams a lot of money absolutely because yeah. writers have all signed contracts and those contracts will specify a win bonus which will be a six-figure sum but it won't specify half the bonus for half the racing. Um, if you have a smart lawyer managing your writer, your your you know your your contract as a writer right now, you're you're rubbing your hands. Now, I mean, MotoGP said that there's unanimous support from teams, so I I presume that entails that they would have thought of that if the support it truly is unanimous. But you know, the question there is what what you raise is you know 44, 44 races means forty four starts. 44 first corners, 44 opening laps. MotoGP, you know, pack racing isn't that common at most tracks. So it does it does sort of race, not just the stress, obviously, but the, the risk level quite a bit. So it's the same amount of mileage, but it's a higher percentage of risk for that mileage, isn't it? It is. But then the, the other thing on the flip side of that level of risk, that higher level of risk is... We're only now awarding points to ninth place, and we have 10 lap races. So let's say 10 yeah. lap races, because the last race at Silverstone was 20, so I'm working off that number for the sake of. Um, if you go into a corner and get punched out into the gravel by someone or get ran wide, Alessia Spagaro at, uh, at, at Aston is the perfect example yeah. of that. Something like that happens to you. You end up at the end of the first lap in P21, uh, but you've got 20 laps to try and pull back some points. Cool. Go for it. Yeah. If that happens to you 
and you're in P21 and you have to get to ninth and you only have 10 laps to do it. Might as well park you might up. as well park it and save the bike, take less yeah. risk. Um, and that is save something. the bike, save the uh, arm strength. Exactly, if it's a track like yeah. Saxon Ring or Crowd yeah, Club. that's it. And and I genuinely believe we are going to see people pull off the track rather than take the risk of staying out in these races, because if you're a championship contender, yeah, it, it, there are circ. Don't get me wrong. There's circumstances where people will obviously stay on the bike, but if you're yeah. if you're a championship contender who suddenly finds themselves twenty second and has five laps instead of fifteen laps to get back into the points, why would you take the risk? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't think they'll park up because I think they'll be encouraged not to park up. But I think they'll they'll ride at half pace basically, in case of total massive retirement, just to be there to pick up anything. But you're yeah, this hasn't really entered my mind at all. But now that you mention it, obviously, top nine means there's no reason to fight for fifteenth. Just finish, bring the bike home. You're not going to get to ninth if it's two or three laps to go. Now, I don't know how big of a problem that is because they don't show the battle for 15th anyway. But if they did, and if you happen to care about that kind of thing, I mean, Remy Gardner and Raul Fernandez, for instance, might just run in tandem for the 10 laps for all your good it does. And I don't know why I said them too, because I'm not sure either of them will be on the 2023 grid, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different matter for a different podcast. Ironically, that I think kind of brings us to the crux of the whole issue as to why I find myself sort of swinging from one feeling to the other in this. Um, so veteran MotoGP commentator uh, Julian Ryder just hit the nail on the head on Twitter just before we jumped in to record the podcast. Uh, he said that he believes that this might be uh, uh, activity disguised as progress. And, and I think there's an element to this being an attempt to do something um, that in reality is a bit of a knee-jerk reaction and that doesn't really provide a solution to the problems that MotoGP is actually facing right now. Um, when you can't get people to watch 22 races, the secret is not to suddenly make 44 races. That's not, there should be a, a warning sign there. It's not that people yeah. are calling out for more MotoGP and that's why people aren't going racing. Um, we have all of these issues with, people not being over able to overtake with front tire pressure going through the roof because of ride height devices and aerodynamics increasing front load you know the, the perfect example of that is that uh i spoke to a, a veteran crew chief uh before this weekend started about whether or not the ducatis would lose some of their advantage at the red bow ring which has traditionally been a, a ducati dominated track because of all the long straights obviously this year we've added a chicane and cut one of those straights and i wanted to know if that was going to mean the others could be a little bit closer and he he was straight up like no it it gives them more of an advantage now because their aero package is pr producing so much downforce and braking that they're able to stop better through that chicane but as a result it's overheating the front tire putting the front tire right in the limit uh, and no one wants to risk overtaking. No one feels comfortable to risk overtaking. You know, and that Ducati assessment appears to be very much correct. That's playing out on Saturday yeah. night, looking at Sunday's yeah. race, that's playing out. So we're not fixing the problem that I think is fundamentally at the heart of what's gone wrong at MotoGP at the minute. Um, and it's quite telling that, so we, we had quite a, I think confrontational press conference is the right word to describe yes, it today. Absolutely. With uh, Dorna CEO Carmelo Espaleta, with the FIM president Jorge Vierjas, and with uh, International Race Team Association boss Hervé Poncheral. 
And at the end of that press conference, I had quite heated words with someone very, very senior at Dorna because my first question was asking, you know, is this the start of something where you're going to address what we all believe to be the fundamental problems and not a knee-jerk reaction? And they took great exception to that being my first question um, and, and, you know, said rather rude words to me and told me that I was constantly criticizing the series without presenting any solutions. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a pretty big solution that pretty much everyone's in agreement with that we've talked about at length when it comes to banning the arrow and the right height devices. But there you go. And I think that that the reason I mentioned that is because it kind of, I think it feeds into the belief that this is a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to the, a solution to the wrong problem. Simon Patterson criticizing MotoGP. Nah, don't think, don't think that's possible. I, 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 I need to interrupt you. I need to put it in the record here. <laughs> um, I criticize MotoGP because I absolutely love this sport. Like I adore MotoGP and I love my job. And I, I'd hate for a minute to, for anyone to think that I like hate being here. And that's why I criticize it. I just, man, I want it to be as good as it can be. And it feels like we're missing that opportunity at the minute. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I get the reservation completely. Just for the sake of, I guess, the other side of the coin, I'm also not entirely decided, but I, I should say that this means that we're going to lose one of the accursed practice sessions, completely unwatchable and awful and impossible to follow with any interest. And always replacing a practice session with something meaningful is always good in some way. Like, I I was, obviously, I dovetail f1 and MotoGP coverage and i was there for the for all the discourse when f1 added its sprint races that are still sort of occasionally popping up on the calendar and my feeling even though they went about it a little bit differently than MotoGP, in that they like had a working group ish thing they were discussing it a lot it still very much felt like they just went with the first draft of the idea like oh just a smaller race on Saturday, whatever, felt completely at odds with with what a Grand Prix weekend should be. And I, I'm, I'm still not sure that's resolved for me, but it is inescapable that uh, an F1 sprint weekend is just a lot more fun to follow because there's less filler. And I, I think MotoGP in 2023 will also get that. I, I just, there are a lot of questions to think about, and I'm surprised that the whole thing was announced, rubber-stamped, and basically had a format confirmed without those things being worked out. Well, first of all, uh, addressing the format, yeah, um, we we have a, a much more, not a much more exciting Friday, but a, certainly a, a more interesting end to the day on Friday. Now, with, Q, with FP1 and FP2 being the only two sessions that decide who goes directly to Q1 and Q2. Um, and then the, the, the sort of the bigger picture with the format is that there is an argument that the less time riders have to set up, the more competitive the racing is. Um, yeah. I don't know if I entirely buy that because I think the flip side of that is that the guy that arrives with a good setting is the guy that's going to dominate the weekend. Like we saw when we only had a, a day of practice in Argentina this year with Alessio Spagaro yeah. basically kicking ass in the race. Um my worry is that that will become more of a norm whenever there's essentially only half a sec a session of practice yeah. at the actual time of a race, which will be FP two, because then the the second half of that day uh, that session is going to become about it's going to become a mini qualifying. qualifying um, yeah. So I, I'm I'm again I'm on the fence whenever it comes to whether or not it's going to give us something better come Sunday afternoon, but let's wait and see. 
uh, and then re- regarding the way it was delivered, the writers have been left really unhappy. There's no two ways to put it about the way that this has been announced. Um, we've we've talked for a while about the need for a writers' union. It's something that quite a few of them has raised on on multiple occasions. I get the sense that this might be the tipping point now, because that that's the level of frustration from them. Um, I I I'd like to say that I don't really understand why Dorna went for a big flashy Hollywood announcement today. Um basically delivering a proposal that that is as far as they're concerned ready to go but that is kind of quite in their ethos that's pretty much how they work a lot of the time they like big presentations of this is what is going to happen next and you're going to enjoy it um whereas i think if they'd announced before the summer break uh that it was something that was being considered had maybe put out a, a a mini version of their fan survey specifically about sprint races, like they've just done about their digital content, um, talk to writers, talk to teams openly, publicly, um, because it is obviously an idea that's been kicked around since before the uh, the summer break, because I remember uh, one of the MotoGP social press conference questions a few rounds ago was about sprint races. So it's it's something that has been in the pipeline internally. It would have been much better to have that process up front and in public, I think. It would have made for a it would have made for a less heated response today than the way that the news eventually came out, which was essentially the story was leaked on Friday afternoon. The writers were asked about it. The writers were left looking blank faced and irritated because it made them look dumb that they knew nothing about it because they hadn't been told. Then they found out. Then we had a press conference that was, like we said, quite confrontational, quite heated, and yeah. and really quite light in information. And then we got a press release like an hour after that that had actual concrete ideas in it. Um, that that doesn't feel like the correct way to deliver news. That is arguably the biggest shakeup that the championships had in its seventy-three year history in terms of format. Yeah, you get a feeling like they were working against some sort of timeline. Like there's some big shareholders meeting or something, which I don't know. It's just that's the feeling. That's, I'm Very not saying so. there's there's a shareholders meeting. I don't know who the shareholders are. Maybe I'm one. That'd be something. Uh, anyway, if, if you're a Canadian, if you're a Canadian of a certain age, you probably would be. I'm not saying you're a Canadian of a certain age, Val. I wish but, uh, a large a large chunk of the series is owned by the Canadian State Pension Investment. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Did not know that. That's pretty great. Who says they only care about hockey? Anyway, so as as you touched upon, a very mixed reaction from from writers so there's definitely been i think some public enthusiasm from some fairly big names uh, mark marquez jack miller but you've also had your championship leader fabio quartararo say it's stupid you've had aleish also not be entirely in favor or basically opposed yeah opposed. Yeah. And, and, opposed. and you've had peco banyaya sort of a bit on the fence and just just really surprised by the whole thing there's quite a few people yeah. on the fence, but yeah, that's your that's your top three championship uh, yeah. contenders, and they're that's all it. that's it. Not not sold. Fabio Fabio has by far been the most upfront about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Whenever we put the proposals to him yesterday before it was official, he called it totally stupid. Uh, I asked him about it today and on Saturday after they'd been briefed about it, if he still thought it was totally stupid. Now he knew all the details, and he, he kind of just gave me that like cheeky Fabio Quadraro smile and said, "Well." I don't want to talk about this anymore. 
but I haven't changed my opinion, which is yeah, pretty conclusive answer, really. I think he's also just not a, in a fantastic mood this weekend for, for obvious Red Bull Ring reasons, but yeah, clearly. And unhappy am I at the Red Bull Ring, yeah. whatever next. Uh, but yeah, I think you are right in that. There was clearly, from basically every session that we heard uh, riders in, there's definitely this feeling of them being blindsided. Some of them had a couple of hours of warning. Some of them were like, wait, is this is this definitely happening suddenly? Uh, they're just really, really surprised, which to me, there is a bit of a, a contrast between the claim that all the teams are unanimously for it and the riders going, excuse me? And that, of, of, of all the the weird bits of today's uh, press conference, I think the weirdest bit was whenever Dorna's CEO, Carmelo Espeleta, was asked about um, why the riders hadn't been told that it was coming, that it was happening. And he basically said, well, it's not our job to talk to the riders. To which the riders, there was a lot of eye rolling when we asked them about that tonight. A lot of people who uh, who said they didn't want to comment about uh, Alicia Espagaro quite funnily was like, uh, my foot still hurts, so I need to go and sit down now instead of answering that question, which was quite quite well played. But um, yeah, I, I just, I think the idea that the people who run the championship didn't feel the need to tell the riders about the biggest change in the championship's history yeah. was weird. Yeah. And uh, that segues us nicely to, obviously, what if there was some sort of body that MotoGP could talk to and inform all the riders through? What would that look like? What would we call that? We would call that a riders' union, which has been coming up a fair, a fair amount this weekend and culminating in a fairly terse answer from Carmelo Espeleta when asked about our when asked by our Dutch colleague uh, Frank Wink about it um, the gist of that answer as far as I understood was Carmelo saying he's not opposed to it but also saying that this wasn't this was an idea that was more or less being planted in the in the agenda and in the writers minds by by journalists which I mean, we definitely asked people about unions before we asked Remy on the podcast. And honestly, if we do plant it, I feel very, very little remorse over that because I'm a fairly pro-union, I'm going to say left-leaning, which is not something you should say on a MotoGP podcast, but I'll say it. But anyway, we like the idea of a rider union. I think it's fair to put it out there. But also, a fair few riders now like the idea of a rider union ever since the Romano Fanati sacking in Moto2. And, and that's, you know, it was very notable today that the three parties represented on stage were the teams through Urta, the FIM and Dorna. There were no rider representation there, but there was a very prominent Urta representation. And Urta have, like, they are a union for the teams at the end of the day, yeah. who has a reputation, there's no two ways about it, of actively working against riders on occasion. Because... They they interfere in either interfere in contract negotiations to ensure that the right nationality or whatever gets a seat, or they allow teams to break contracts with riders when there is a valid contract in place. Which takes us back to the Romano Romano, Romano Fanati situation <laughs> earlier in the season, which is what first prompted talk of riders unions this year. And which, as far as I remember correctly, wasn't something that we brought up. It was something that Juan Mir and Mark Marquez brought up. Yes. 
Yeah, it, so, something that came up in the Safety Commission. And, and, exactly. Yeah. And, and again, yesterday, we were not the first to mention unions. We certainly followed up on it. But the you know it, you will have uh, you'll have heard Val what Fabio Di Giantonio told us, yes, and he had a very detailed argument already prepared to deliver to us that had nothing to do with uh, anything we had asked him necessarily. He knew what he wanted to say. He wanted to say his piece, and he said it. Um, we talked certainly to others afterwards, especially to Andrea De Vizioso, who was DJ's, uh president-elect of the writers union <laughs> Absolutely. um and, and and yeah he was uh he was not opposed to the idea he said yeah he'd throw his hat in the ring if it came up essentially and then doubled down on that again today and and you know kind of made the point that maybe the best way to convince writers that they don't need a writers union is to take a huge decision behind the backs and then tell them they don't need a union yeah. That's, that's not really how it works. Absolutely. I don't, to answer to that, first one is I just have to say the words Comrade Digia and leave it at that. But uh, second, yeah, just just away from the sprints, Andrea Vizioso makes so much sense as a rider union rep, especially now that he's retiring. If you draw the, the parallel with F1's Grand Prix Drivers Association, they have the retired Alex Wirtz. I don't think he's at every race. I'm fairly sure he's not affiliated with any team, although he might do something with Williams. I'm not sure. I Googled it a bit and couldn't find anything and gave up. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, Dovi is not a firebrand, but he's extremely clever and extremely highly respected on the grid. I don't think he's feuding with anybody on the grid. I think everybody everybody likes him as a, as a, as a personality, and I think everybody really respects how thoughtful he is about a lot of things. I think he'd be, he'd be an excellent pick. Right, he'd be uh, awesome. And he, uh, he, well, actually, um, some of his colleagues kind of let it slip uh, at the end of their debrief before his started today that he actually stayed behind yesterday at the end of the safety commission for a further 15 minutes to directly speak to Dorna's staff about this. Um, and we, we joked, him and I joked in his debrief about, oh, so you're practicing for your new job already. Um, but, but that's very much the, the vibe that we got, that he was there, you know, speaking on behalf of the writers, even though he maybe wasn't necessarily asked or appointed to. But there's no writer who's going to complain about having Dovey of all people speak on their behalf. And honestly, there's... The only other writer I can think of who really fits that bill in terms of being recently retired and you like absolutely universally well liked is Cal Crutchlow, yeah. and he's far too fiery for that role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he needs a diplomat, not a not a fighter. Yeah, and the good news about Dovey is I think the only person who would object is I think Jorge Lorenzo, who is not on the grid anymore. And even then, we, we haven't asked for here recently. He might, you know, they might have buried. Well, you know, Valentino Rossi and Casey Stoner are friends now, so yeah, it's possible. Yeah, uh, back to back to sprints. Um, now, I think I wrote a column about this because I I thought I feel strongly about it, and maybe I do, maybe I don't. You know, it's the sort of thing that changes every five minutes. But what do you think about it? The sprint not forming the grid. What do you think it being a, an entity in itself? Um, I haven't really thought about that, I have to admit. Um, for me, it has to be one or the other. Uh, it has to either form the grid and not award championship points, or it has to be a standalone race. I'm glad that they haven't done something 
like they've done in World, or like they tried in the past with World Superbikes, where it does both. Um, I, I think it needs to be one or the other. So I'm at least quite glad that to that. I think if we looked back in 20 years' time at next year's table and stats and said, ah, yeah, you know, he was, he could have won that race, but he wasn't pushing because he knew he'd have a safe front row for the main event. It devalues it. So I'm, I'm at least glad that they went one way or the other. And I, I guess I don't really have a strong opinion as to whether it should be a pole position or a race win in that sense. Although I do like qualifying. I think qualifying is one of the highlights of the weekend. So I'd hate to have gone from a free practice session into a, a pole position race, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. I'm just thinking about it. I guess you would fight for a third instead of a fourth on the grid, but I'm not sure you would fight for a second instead of a third so hard. Yeah, or a obviously... first instead of a second, which at the end of yeah. the day is what we want to see. But maybe, still, you know, these these people are MotoGP riders. I think you, you give them a sniff of a position. I think they'll try to take it. That's 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 my feeling, especially because maybe some people say that in F1, because of this, they're a little bit conservative in the sprints. Not only am I not sure that I really believe that, but in, a, in F1, you have to try a lot harder to line up a pass still. Like it's, it's still just a different world. Those cars are wide. Bikes are not wide as of yet. Maybe they will be one day. But on the flip side of that, the consequences for getting an aborted overtake wrong in F1 are a hell of a lot less than the chances of you know ending up pretty badly hurt here. Yeah, no, in terms of in terms of injury, yeah, in terms of ending up in the gravel or in the barriers. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, finally, just spitballing it here. So we're losing, I think, the one manufacturer that would really like this change next year. I think Suzuki would really, really like this because they qualify terribly, but they're lightning off the line. So giving him another, basically giving giving more value to racing, they would quite like. Who do you think? This will be good for next year. Who would like? I think KTM I see as one, and definitely, even though Fabio is unhappy, I think from his recent talk about how his Yamaha starts the weekend strong and then everybody else catches up. If there's less time for people to catch up and try things, it might be good for him. Specifically, the person I see this being the best for in terms of the championship at the end of the year is Brad Binder. Right. Because he is the guy that makes the big improvements to the race. Um, ironically, the person that it's probably the worst for is uh, Enea Bastianini. Because he's the reverse. He's the yeah. guy that makes the tires last till the end. Um, you know, how often do you get to the halfway point of a race and it's suddenly like, and here's Enea. Yeah. Without having seen him previously in the race. Silverstone, he was like 11th or something at, at halfway point. And, yeah. and I was like, well, this is the Ducati battle decided. And then end of the race, here he was overtaking Martin. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I, I think that, that those are probably the winners and the losers. Um, yeah, I think Juan Mir and, and Alex Rins would quite like to be taking this on on a Suzuki. Um as a manufacturer, I think possibly the ones that we've seen start FP1 the strongest this year and then tail off even more than the Yamaha, though I know that it's something that Quadraro was singing out, is Aprilia. I, I think that for Maverick Vinales and uh, Alicia Spagaro, this is this is a pretty good situation. Um, the other group of people that this probably favours, and we had a bit of a chat today with one of them about it, 
is the guys who are switching manufacturers. Because if you listen to the guys who traditionally do switch manufacturers, and we talked today to Alex Marquez about it, who's going from Honda to Ducati next year, they all say the quickest way to learn is to race. Yeah. So now they've got one last session of riding around on their own to learn how to make their new bikes work and another session of, of you know, another 10 laps of super competitive racing. Um, and that might allow some of them to get up to speed quite a bit quicker. Yeah, well, yeah, to sum it up, this was supposed to be a, a quick one of 15 minutes. Instead, it's double that. So clearly, if anything else, it's giving us something to talk about, isn't it? Uh, that'll continue well into the off-season and well into next year because MotoGP, as we know, it has... That's changed forever today, hasn't it? it? Yeah, it has. Well, it has it has changed in a very significant way, but I don't know if it's changed forever or not because let's see how long this experiment lasts for. Fair enough. Um, but I'm pretty sure that while you and I have had some opinions on this, we will pick it up again in our regular post-race weekend podcast with regular host Toby Moody, who I know has strong opinions on this. <laughs> All right, just a gut feeling, yeah. but I know Toby. Yeah, so do I. It's almost like we're in one, we're in one chat, <laughs> potentially. All right. Oh, I didn't need to be in the chat to know that. <laughs> Flaunting your personal connections with the podcast host. I'm the podcast host. Anyway, see you, everyone, all the listeners, after Sunday's race when we'll finally be talking about the actual racing in the championship and not formats, the boring format accountants that we are. Until next time, see you then. The Athletic. Can we change the WhatsApp group title to Format Accountants?